Welcome to another episode of Kodo Cinema, the podcast show where I talk about movies. I'm your host, Mark Kodo, aka Kodo Man. Now, for this episode, I'm going to be t- I'm going to talk about my first X-Men movie. Now, X-Men was from Marvel Comics, and once in a while, I mentioned the X-Men in a few of my episodes, but not a whole movie, to to be honest. After watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe and talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Might as well go outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and talk about the X-Men. Now, you're all probably wondering, what, which X-Men movie I'm going to talk about? There's multiple, X-Men mo- there's multiple X-Men movies out there. Like the first one came out in the 2000s, leading up all the way, leading up all the way to, uh, le- leading up all the way to X-Men Dark Phoenix, which was the latest X-Men movie that came out in 2019. And of course... We got the upcoming Deadpool 3 movie that is that is coming out this summer. So out of so out of the now I have not seen X-Men Dark Phoenix. That's the only X-Men movie I have not seen. I've seen all the Wolverine movies plus the first two Deadpool movies. Of course, X-Men First Class including Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse and the and the first three original X-Men movies that came that came out in the 2000s. So you are probably wondering which X Men movie I'm going to talk about. Well, I got my brother Mike back on board. Back on board. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, and first of all, Mark, thank you for. And hello, Mark, thank you for inviting me back onto your episode of Koto Cinema for season six. And hello, everyone. He's excited because we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Well, we're, we're gonna be talking about one of the X Men films, but this time. From the third X-Men film, which turns out to be a guilty pleasure. Yeah, so we're jumping over the first two X- We're jumping over the first two X-Men movies. I mean, obviously we could have just started off with the first one, but no. We decided to jump over to uh, to the third one, which would be X-Men The Last Stand. Now, now the reason why we want to talk about this movie is, well, couple, well, couple reasons. One, it's a guilty pleasure because um, it is considered to be... The X Men Three is considered to be the one of the weakest X Men films, although in retrospect it has its moments. And two, it it was it was on TV. It was on the FX channel one day. We both saw it on TV on the FX channel one other day, and we decided to like you know what we we and we all and we both agreed on it. So we were like you know what let's talk about X Men Last Stand. Not to mention X Men The Last Stand usually show on different channels. That's true, including FX. And to tell you the truth, uh, we were both introduced to the X-Men through X-Men Origins Wolverine, and not even realizing there were other X-Men, X-Men films that came out before. And one of them was X-Men The Last Stand. That's right. So, to give him more context, X-Men The Last Stand 
otherwise known as X-Men 3 Last Stand, or just X-Men 3, is a 2006 superhero film based on the X-Men comics from Marvel Comics. And of course, X-Men 3 is a sequel to X2, X-Men United. And of course, as I mentioned, X-Men 3 is the third installment in the X-Men film series. Now, the third movie is directed by Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner is known for directing movies such as Red Dragon, Tower Heist, and of course, Rush Hour. Let's not forget uh, the live-action Hercules movie starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That is true. Also, just to give it a little more context, the first two X-Men movies were directed by Brian Singer. So, so, so with the third X-Men movie be- being directed by Brett Ratner, what happened? Well, it turns out Brian Singer went on to direct Superman Returns, which came out the same year as X-Men 3. So, so, he, so he left X-Men 3 to go direct Superman Returns, which is over at DC, by the way. This also includes, uh, colla- this, this also includes uh, regular collaborators from Brian Singer, including um, writers Dan Harris, Michael Daughtry, and of course, composer and editor John Ottman, plus actor James Marsden, who appeared in the first two X-Men movies, also appeared in Superman Returns. However, in the third X-Men movie, he's still in it, but he has very limited screen time in X-Men 3 before his character was, spoiler alert, killed off due to his departure from the film. So, um, so before Brett Ratner took over, took over the director's chair, Matthew Vong, who co-wrote the script, although he, he was uncredited throughout the, for the film, he was initially hired as the new director, although Matthew Vong left due to personal and professional issues as, and was replaced, and was replaced with Brett Ratner. And also, fun fact about Matthew Vong, he went on to direct X-Men First Class a few years later. Now, filming took place from August 2005 to January 2006 with a budget of $210 million and was consequently the most expensive film at the time of its release. And it had extensive visual effects created by 11 different companies. That's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, $210 million. That is, that is the budget of this movie. And this was the most expensive film made at the time of its release. So just to throw that, throw that out there. Now, how did it... Now, how... Now, now of course, obviously, we have, we have, we have a good all-star cast, which, which includes Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, Ian McKellen, Famke Jansen, Anna Paquin, Kelsey Grammer, James Marsden, Rebecca Romanjin... Sean Ashmore, Aaron Stanford, Vinnie Jones, and Patrick Stewart, among many others. But of course, obviously, you, you gotta talk about the star Hugh Jackman. He plays, he, he, he plays the Wolverine himself. That's right, as Logan. Yep. He started out in 2000, back with the first X-Men film, leading, leading up to other sequels, including, including uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine along with the second Wolverine film that came out in 2013, and of course, Logan, which turns out to be his final his final outing as Wolverine. But of course, Hugh Jackman has got the claws out for another Wolverine role, this time in Deadpool 3. That is right, folks. Hugh Jackman is going to be coming back to play Wolverine. 
Now going back to X Men Three, how did this move? How did this move? How did this movie do with with the crit with the critics and the box office? Well, box office wise, it, it made four hundred sixty point four million dollars. So it made its so so it made its money. So so it made it so it made its money. So which is good, but unfortunately, it received mixed reviews from critics, and was deemed inferior to its predecessors. Many people pointed out. Many many people point. The third X Men movie has been criticized by fans for killing off major characters such as Charles Xavier, Cyclops, and G. Gray. But unfortunately, the 2014 X Men: Days of Future Past film has subsequently been viewed by some critics as a revision of those controversial plot elements in X Men: The Last Stand. So. So one of the few reasons why this movie didn't do well is because obviously killing off major characters. Other reasons included the, the storylines that were put into the movie. Like there were two different story now there were two different storylines that were put into X-Men into that were put into X-Men Last Stand. One of them was being gifted which focuses which is basically which focuses on the cure because in the X-Men comics there's a storyline called the Gifted which was actually written by Joss Whedon, because uh, at the time, because this, which was written by Joss Whedon, and the gifted was a part of Astonishing X X Men, and is the name of four X Men comic book series from Marvel Comics. The first two of which were limited series. Third volume, an ongoing series, began in 2004 with its first run, written by Joss Whedon, and art by John Cassidy. Now, in the um, in the gifted is based in the gifted. The storyline in the gift is based focuses on on a on a cure, and that story and that storyline would would take will play a huge role in X Men three in X Men three. How, however, there will be another storyline that was put into X Men three, and that will be the Dark Phoenix and that will be the Dark Phoenix storyline, and the Dark Phoenix storyline, or should I say, the Dark Phoenix saga, is an extended X Men comic book storyline. Published by Marvel Comics and of course created by writer Chris Claremont and artist John Burney. Now the storyline first appeared in X-Men 129. Focuses on the superhero Jean Grey and the cosmic entity Phoenix Force. Phoenix Force. And of course the storyline refers to the story in Uncanny X-Men number 129-138. Which came out in Jan from January to October of 1980. Of Jean Grey's corruption by the power of the Phoenix and the Hellfire Club, the destruction she causes, and ultimately her death. Basically, G Jean Grey becoming the Phoenix. Now, in X Men 2, the ending of that movie, uh, Jean Grey sacrificed herself to save the members of the X Men from from the dam that is being bursted at at the weapon at one of the Weapon X facility at the one of the Weapon X facilities and. Jean Grey sacrificed herself to save the X Men from a, from a, from a dam from a dam that is being burst that was gonna that was going to that was going to wash out the members of the X Men. Now the ending of that movie like it shows a phoenix like shape rises that that is that rising from the flooded rising from the flooded Alkali Lake, and and at that lake and at that and at that lake this is that's where um. Jean Grey is ri is rising from the flooded fr rising from the lake 
resembling the resembling the phoenix. A phoenix is an immortal an immortal bird that that's that 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 regenerates or otherwise born again. So what we so what you saw at the end of the second X-Men movie is Jean Grey regenerating herself as a phoenix or otherwise being being born again but this time as the phoenix and that was and that was teased at the end of X-Men 2 so and and technically we got that in the third X-Men movie but unfortunately with the storyline with the with the gifted storyline that focuses on the cure it deviated so it, it it was a bit of a mess it was a bit of a mess now i don't mind two different comic book storylines coming together but got to find a got to find a balance to it but but um, but but for what is worth i but for what is worth and despite the whole despite the film's problems and that's basically some of the problems that this film had i mean otherwise the, the switching of director the changing of directors the, uh, the change of the directors killing off major characters and then two different storylines coming together although with one of them with one of them being the phoenix storyline and of course the gifted storyline the the storyline the gifted storyline was more of a focus in the third film compared to compared to the phoenix storyline I mean, the Phoenix storyline is still in this movie, but it feels like a footnote. In my opinion, I, for, what, for, for the film's faults, I, I still like the film. I, I thought the film was okay. Yeah, I thought about that too, despite the flaws it has. Yeah, I mean, it's still a fun movie. I mean, like, you got the characters, you got, you got the action, even the musical score as well. John Powell composed the score for... X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, of course, that same year, he would compose the second Ice Age film. John Powell composed the music for Ice Age 2, The, melt the Meltdown. And that movie came out the same year as X-Men Last Stand. However, prior to, to X-Men 3, he was brought on board after he was done completing the score for Ice Age 2. So... So he went on to the so he went on to the next project. He went on to the next project, from Ice Age two to X Men three, The Last Stand. So that's a nice that's a nice transition. It's like 20th Century Fox gave a call to John. It's like 20th Century Fox just walked into the walked into the recording studio after John Powell was was done record was done composing the score, and it was like, hey, jo hey Johnny, we got another project for you, and it was like. And I'm pretty sure it was like, oh, cool, what is it? It's an X-Men movie. It's an X-Men movie. X-Men Last Stand. And John was probably like, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it went out, but, you know. But, hey, I mean, but it, but it was true, but it was true. John Powell was working on that. John Powell was working on Ice Age 2. And, of course, he got it done. So, he went on, and, of course, he was brought on board to, to write the music, to compose the music for X-Men the last stand but without further ado but without the further but without further ado let me, let's break down let's break down the movie let's take the stand let's take the stand let's take the stand with x-men 3 the last stand now now the movie opens in a quiet suburban neighborhood in the 1980s professor charles xavier and of course eric lensher magneto both being played by patrick stewart and ian mckellen 
de-aged. Wow, they look so young. This is one of the first few films where they actually used the de-aging effect to de-age Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, and it's not that bad. It's not bad. But still, you kind of get the idea, because obviously, it opens up in the 1980s, for now, just the opening, because um, what Charles Xavier and, and Eric Lenscher are doing, they arrived at, at a house that is home to Jean Grey and the Grey family. And they both personally evaluate a potential new student for the, for the school Xavier has established for the mutants. And of course, Mr. and Mrs. Grey call their young daughter Jean down to speak with Magneto and Xavier. As Jean sits, Xavier senses imme immediately that she's telepathically reading his and Magneto's thoughts and gently admonishes her saying that he and Magneto are like her in a surprisingly adult-like voice for a young adolescent. And Jean says she, she doubts either of them are like her. A second later, all the cars outside begin to levitate, much to the amazement of both Xavier and Magneto. We got some shots of of some very interesting cameos. If you, if I would, if I were to say, one of them is a man watering. Wa one of them is a man watering his garden, and gawks as the water is literally coming out from the hole, which is and, and levitating straight up. And then, of course. Uh, <laughs> And then of course, another shot that that features a man's uh, a, lawnmower. A, a man's lawnmower. Whoa! Well, actually, uh, actually, it's Stan Lee who is water hosing. Yes, watering the garden. Yes, Stan Lee. Stan Lee. The Stan Lee, the Marvel goat himself, the Marvel Comics goat himself. Stan Lee has a cameo in X Men: The Last Stand. I wonder what his reaction. Would and of be course, like. the other um. I wonder what his Stan Lee's reaction would be like. I, I think, oh, I know. What the hell is going on? <laughs> and, and of course, the right? other cam and then of course the other cameo was um, Chris Claremont, who is the writer of the of the Phoenix storyline for for the X Men for X Men for the X Men he, comics. He was the lawnmower. Yes, he was the lawnmower guy. Where his lawnmower is levitating as well, and <laughs> it's a pretty. That's actually very, that's very funny. They got the cameos out of the way in the first scene. Normally, it would be in the middle of the movie, but hey, I mean, you want to get your cameos out of the way in the first scene? Go for it. So then, Charles, Charles Xavier quietly asks Jean if she wishes to learn to control her immense power or let it control her. To be honest, there was no answer, but in all honesty, though, we, we go to the next scene. So 10 years later, in a high-rise luxury building, a boy scrapes scrapes at his back cry, crying as he does so this actually is warren worthington the third otherwise known in the comics as angel so this is basically angel getting his wings his wings are growing on his back yeah so basically he's becoming a he's becoming an a mutant angel angel that grows his wings and that is basically that is basically Warren Warren Warrington the third, and of course his father Warren Warrington the second knocks on the bathroom door. Concerned, he asks his son to open the door. Warren the third, literally scared scared to death, he hides 
all the utens all the all the utensils like the sizz like like scissors in 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 the drawers to hide it, just to hide it all because all this, the there are the, all the utensils are bloody are full of blood and and of course there were several bloody rags are being seen are being are seen beside the sink and Worthington hears the sound of clanking as his son rushes to hide his razor I mean razor yeah and several sharp other several other sharp metal objects obviously one of them could be scissors but also other other razors as well now Worthington kicks the door down and sees what his son was trying to hide several bloody feathers are on the bathroom floor having sprouted from Warren the third's back and this tells you something he was like my god I knew it like no well, actually he was like not you was surprised like Warren Warren the second was surprised to see that his son is a mutant and and then of course like the la and then of course we get to see the shot of Warren the third's back with the feather with you with his back and you barely see the feathers on his back because they're being they were cut they were they were cut which leads into the X-Men title. And this is this is John Powell's score playing in the background. And he he references to he references back to the first two X-Men movies with, with the X-Men theme. Da 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 Although it's this one's more this one's a march. Like John Powell's take on the X-Men theme in X-Men 3 has a march feel to it. And for the most part it's good. This is actually a very good opening. In my opinion, it's a very good opening. Love the music. Love the love the different instrument backgrounds from the brass sec brass section. Literally recreate recreating the iconic X Men theme while referencing to the other other compositions from the X Men movies, but also adding a nice little adding a nice little bit of John Powell ish type theme to it. Yeah, I would totally agree. Obviously, we get the title. We get the X-Men title, X-Men Last Stand, with with the lab door closing with the X symbol on it. This jumps into the action. Yep, in the present day, in the present day, the X-Men are in the danger room with Xavier's training simulation chamber playing out a defense against against futuristic robots. And of course, these robots in the danger room are the Sentinels. Oh boy. Yep, the sen basically the Sentinels, and not uh, like not like the ones from X Men: Days of Future Past. Actually, they are. Wait, they are. Yes, but unfortunately, they're basic. But unfortunately, um, those are basically now because here's the thing: in the early drafts of the first two X Men movies, they were originally going to have the Sentinels play a role, but unfortunately, they were dropped due to budget concerns. Now, the Sentinels appear in X Men: Days of Future Past, which which is. Which I which I will say is awesome, good movie by the way. But the Sentinels in those movies are literal mo robotic monsters. Now in the Danger Room, they're basically based on their early designs, like the Mark One of the Sentinels, and and the head of the of the Mark One Sentinel makes an appearance because Wolverine decapitates it. That was basically the lesson in the Danger Room. Class dismiss. Yes, uh... <laughs> and of course. To introduce the characters, we got Wolverine being played by Hugh Jackman. Yeah. And of course, other the other mutants as well. Colossus being played by Daniel Cudmore, who literally threw Wolverine to, towards that Sentinel. 
Then, of course, you got Rogue being played by Anna Paquin. You also have Bobby Drake, Iceman being played by Sean Ashmore. And then, of course, you also have um, Kitty, Pri Kitty Pride, otherwise known as Shadowcat, being played by Ellen Page. Although, I know it's Elliot Page, but at the time, it was Ellen Page. Letting you all know that this is Ellen Page back then. So anyway, after the lesson, uh, one of the other mute, one of the other mutants, Storm, being played by Halle Berry, was not impressed with the whole lesson because both Storm and Wolverine argue as the X-Men leave the simulation room. The training exercise was meant to help the team learn to operate together and defend, while Wolverine believes in the best defense being a good offense. Now, of course, Wolverine also reminds Storm that he's just. A substitute for Scott Summers, also known as Cyclops, being played by James Marsden, who's been severely depressed since his girlfriend, Jean Grey, drowned while saving the X while saving the X team, or X-Men, at Alkali Lake. Now, this is referring back to the second film, because Jean Grey sacrificed herself to save the X to save the X-Men or <clears throat> X team from at the lake. Due due to the dam at the due to the dam at one of the at one of the F Weapon X facilities near near that lake. Now Scott sits alone in his room, haunted by the loss. Meanwhile, Rogue has a brief spat or argument with Iceman. Rogue loves Iceman, but their relationship torments her because he can't touch her bare skin safely because of her life leeching powers. Of course, during that simulation, um, Kitty Pride hugs Iceman from that missile that the that the Sentinel was going was going to, to destroy to, to going was going to destroy the two with. Kitty Pride was able to protect Iceman because because one of her powers because her power does that little absorbing thing too. Where does that tell where her power basically teleporting through walls. And of course the missile teleported through Kitty Pride and it also went through uh, Iceman as well. So she's basically like a teleporter if you know what I'm saying. Now going back to Scott, he's 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 leaving the school because he's still he's still haunted by the loss of Jean Grey. And of course, Wolverine finds Cyclops heading out of the school and there is a brief but emotional confrontation over both of them having loved Jean and are mourning her to death. Now another thing in the X Men comics, uh, both Wolverine and Cyclops have a let's just say a triangle love relationship with Jean Grey because in the comics Cyclops is in love with Jean Grey and so is Wolverine. Just to let you all know. Now later on in another scene we see Hank McCoy, otherwise known as Beast, being played by Kelsey Grammer, is a secretary of mutant affairs in the presidential cabinet and is reading a scientific magazine with articles on mutation and the gene that helps bring it about. Relaxing while hanging upside down from the ceiling. Yep, what do you think? Yeah, uh, his character was was actually the Beast, and and of course a younger version of, of Beast was in the X-Men First Class. He was, tr well, technically he was trying to be like a normal, normal human being because his foot was like claws. Like hands. Mm -hmm. uh, he tried to test out with the uh, with some kind of a serum to to be a to make his speed look normal, but it turns out his speed came back in, in a hand looking claws, and and then 
Hank, Hank McCoy turns into Beast, which is basically from X-Men First Class. Right. He turns blue, too. Because if I remember correctly, he took some of that, some of that blood from, from Mystique in, in X-Men First Class. Right. Which explains why he was blue. But of course, now being the, uh, the, beast, that he, now being the beast that he is, he is pretty good. And I really liked how, um, I mean, Kelsey Grammer as Beast, he, he's pretty good. He's good. That's definitely true. Yep. Now, of course... Including Nicholas Holt. Right. Both Nicholas Holt and Kelsey Grammer are both good actors for Beast in the X-Men movies. Now, moving forward, uh, Beast... Now, of course, Beast's secretary announces the start of a presidential, presidential staff meeting. And as he arrives to the meeting, Homeland Security Secretary Trask, being played by Bill Duke, announces that they lost tr- a track on Magneto but have successively captured Raven Darkholm, otherwise known as Mystique, being played by Rebecca Rumgen. A surveillance camera shows her being interrogate, interrogated by FBI. Mystique refuses to answer to her name, and even when the interrogator accommodates her, she frustrates and vexes him by shapeshifting into, into him in order to mock him otherwise known as <laughs> impersonating the other people to which mystique also impersonated magneto at one yeah. point well he was like in here and then of course the, the interrogators was like don't play games with us but of course mystique keeps playing the games and then suddenly mystique headbutts the interrogator and shows how even with her wrists and heavy shackles she is still a dangerous enemy it takes several. It, it takes several FBI guards to finally overpower her, and now she's held captive. Now Beast is dubious about the presidential cabinet's ability to hold Mystique and knows that holding her will make Magneto angry. Though it gives the cabinet some diplomatic leverage, but Beast realizes the diplomacy the diplomacy with Magneto is not why the president being played by Joseph Sommer, called for his attendance. Now, the president shows Beast a folder with documents that Mystique was trying to steal from the FDA when she was captured. Beast opens the file to find a series of biochemical analysis from Worthington Labs, along with a profile on a young boy named Jimmy, also known as Leech, being played by Cameron Bright. Now, the analysis show that Jimmy is capable of suppressing the mutant X gene, and the president tells Beast that the research is believed to, to be viable and the potential effect it will have on the mutant community is exactly why the cabinet desperately needs Beast, Beast's considerable diplomatic skills now more than ever. Now, um, of course, moving forward, Charles Xavier is giving a lecture to mutant students in the school discussing mutant ethics. An example that he gives is a brain dead patient of Dr. Mora Mora of Dr. Mora Battagard being played by Olivia Olivia Williams, who's being uncredited by the way, and the psychic ability to transfer a human consciousness, even that of a failing man with four children who is dying of cancer, into the body of the brain dead man, raises serious ethical issues. Now Xavier suddenly pauses staring Vacantly outside the skies turn darker as heavy clouds begin to gather and, and converge. Yes, uh, Xavier tells his class that they'll break early and continue tomorrow. And of course, uh, 
Not to mention, there was an end credits scene at the end of X-Men The Last Stand, to which we're going to get to that later. We'll get to that later. Now, you want to tell the, the quote, want to say the quote that Xavier tells, uh, this certain mutant who is, who is turning the skies, who's turning the, the skies dark. The forecast calls for sunny skies. Of course, yes. Uh, he's referring, he's referring to Storm, who is, who is out on the terrorists, and her mind is heavy with troubles which were causing the sudden weather shift. Now, of course, Magneto, being the fugitive that he is, and then, of course, you've got Beast, is on the presidential cabinet, and then the U.S. US president has shown a lot of goodwill towards mutants. So, as Storm believes, the Academy shouldn't need to be in hiding. Go ahead. When Xavier mentions he sees Storm becoming the new head headmistress of the Academy one day, Storm freezes. She thought that Cyclops was the natural successor. Xavier says Cyclops has never been the same since Jean's death. Storm knew. Sto Storm knows there's something Xavier is hiding, but he continues on on toward his office without acknowledging. Storm, Storm and Xavier find Beast in Xavier's office, and Wolverine joins them a few seconds later. And there's a little bit of a rivalry between Wolverine and Beast. I mean, I wonder what the difference is. I heard you're, you're quite an animal. Look who's, well, look who's talking. Of course, the reason why Beast is here is to report that the company is calling the research for a cure on, on mutancy, turning any mutant back into a regular human, into a regular human. Okay, so now this is where the, the gifted storyline plays in. This is, this is where the gifted storyline plays in, where, um, where the, in, that, in the gifted storyline, where it focuses on a cure, on a cure, where where a cure can help turn a mutant back into a human into a human being. And that plays a role in this movie in this movie. Now now move, now just to move, now just to move forward, the impact of the of the discovery hits right there as Storm reacts in outrage in outrage to the news. Storm sees the, the discovery as equivalent to humans calling mutancy a disease in need of treatment. Xavier quietly cuts Storm off, saying, saying that this whole thing, saying the whole thing is making a public announcement as they speak. Of course, this, it, of course, of course, of course, it went out on the news. Even all the other mutants outside, outside of Xavier's home for, outside of Xavier's school, heard about this too. And of course, this goes on to Alcatraz Island, where Warren, Warren Worthington II, who is being played by Michael Murphy, is making a public announcement about the cure. His speech carefully declares mutants to be people, just like humans, before breaking out the scare words like mutancy, being a disease, and a, and a corruption of healthier, cellular activity. He says that any mutant who wishes to undergo the cure is welcome to. As several Academy students watch the announcement on TV, Rogue appears to listen with rapt interest. She goes to Xavier's office, where Xavier is still speaking to Storm. Beast and Wolverine about the ethical and moral dilemma brought about by the discovery. Rogue seems very eager to hear if a mutant cure is real. Storm angrily tells her that there is nothing about them that needs curing. There is nothing wrong with... Uh, any, any any of, of the, the mutants, mutants at, at the academy. academy. Exactly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the mutants at the academy, 
But unfortunately, with Rogue, like, Rogue is surprised. Like, do you think, like, Rogue is surprised. <gasps> She's like, there's a cure for that? Because remember, like, in the first X-Men movie, she actually, like, one of her, her, her first, one of her boyfriends, in the, in the opening of the first X-Men movie, so, like, she makes out with, she put, like, her power is to, like, you know, like, you know how her, her power is basically taking other people's, taking other people's powers? Yeah. Like, she put her boyfriend in a coma at that time, in the first X-Men movie. Like, she, like, like, even, like, she sucked out that power. So she could take other people, she could take other, other uh, mutant, other powers from other mutants. Meaning, like, she has the power of different... She could absorb different mutant powers. The same thing she did to Logan. Exactly. She did that with Logan. She did that with Logan. Well, twice. Twice. Well, twice. Yeah. Twice. Twice. Yeah. Now, now it seems as though she doesn't want to do that with all the other mutants, including Iceman, because she loves Iceman. Like... She loves Iceman, and this is also brought up later on in the movie, because she also leaves too. So outside of the academy, a group of mutants call for a meeting at a local church to discuss the issue. So the leader of the meeting is looking to pursue peaceful negotiation with the government in order to protest the cure. Also attending the meeting are Magneto and, of course, Pyro. Being Pyro being played by Aaron Stanford, looking to recruit angry mutants for the Brotherhood. For the Brotherhood. Or, of course, should I say, the Brotherhood of Mutants. Magneto warns the mutants at the meeting that, that while they try to pursue negotiation and peaceful methods, hu humans, especially the humans in government, will start to force the cure on them a few at a time in a divide-and-conquer strategy, strategy, inciting some of the mutants with these warnings. And, of course, Magneto says this because, uh, let's be honest, Magneto's speeches are pretty cool. Like... Like, like you get, he, you probably hear a lot of, a lot hear his speech, you hear his speeches about, about mute humans and mutants, right? Right. According to younger Magneto's speech in X-Men Days of Future Past. A new tomorrow that starts today. If that's, if that's what he said, right? Yes, that's what he says. Of course, this brought the attention to other mute, to four new members for his brotherhood, one of them named Kid Omega, being played by Ken Leong, who can extend poisonous spines all over his body. Psylocke, being played by Mai Melancon, who can teleport through shadows. Arclight, being played by Oma Hyra, who can lose concussive, who can lose concussive air pressure shockwaves. And Callisto, being played by Dania Ramirez who can move with superhuman speed and also sense the nearby presence and strength of other mutants. And of course, she knows that Magneto and Pyro are the only mutants in the building higher than class 3 in the degree of their powers. Magneto is particularly intrigued by, Cal by Callisto's powers to sense other mutant presence and asks if she can locate a particular one for him. But there's also another mutant... That that we are also introduced to. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> of course, obviously she's. Of course, they're trying to track down Mystique because Mystique is in that armor armor truck prison that that the that the that the that the that the, 
that the police that the police is that the that the officer the police officers are driving in. Now, of course, Mystique taunts the guards, watching watching over her by mimicking first the president and then a very young girl. One guard threatens to spray her with pepper spray, and she tells him that she's going to personally kill him. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> ooh. I wonder if that will come. I wonder if that will come back. I wonder if that. Pl- I wonder if that line plays plays a role later on. Hmm. Well, anyway, moving forward, Beast arrives at Alcatraz Island to tour Worthington Labs and meet with Leech, the young boy whose DNA is the source of the cure. He is greeted by the company's chief researcher, Doctor Ra- by Doctor Rao, being played by by Shore Agdashlu. And Beast is there to see that Worthington Labs' treatment of the young boy meets with the standards set by the Department of Mutant Affairs. Of course, Dr. Rao brings him to the room where Leech stays in order for him to meet the boy, learn the range of his mutant powers, and see for himself that the boy is being kept fully comfortable. Of course, Beast walks over to Leech and... He tries to introduce himself, saying, "Hank McCoy." Unfortunately, if you know, you recognize. You see, you see, a, you see something going on with his hand, right? It's his human hand. It turns. It literally turns back. It turns into a human form. But unfortunately, when he pulls his hand back, it's blue again. Yes. With fur, blue fur. We get it because beast, you know, right? Yes, because of his powers. Because, because it turns out, because it turns, of course, it turns out. With mere proximity to Leech causes mutant powers to cease functioning as long as the mutants in question are within a certain distance of his body. Beast's hand returns to normal for him once he turns away. So technically, Leech has that power. You know, that power where it can cure that mutant. Yes. From It can cure that person from being a mutant. Because Leech has that power. Mm-hmm. To turn a mutant back into a, back into a human being, and it only happens for a little bit, but only on Beast's hand. Yes. Now, of course, after that scene, Cyclops rides down the road on his motorcycle, heading towards the lake where Jean Grey died. And as he walks onto a small natural rock jetty overlooking the lake, he hears the whispered sound of Jean's voice calling his name. Tormented by the whispering voice, he yanks off his red sunglasses and a bright beam of light shoots from his eyes, obviously laser eyes, strafing along the lake's surface. And of course, Cyclops is screaming stop because, because he wants to stop hearing the, hearing the voices inside his head. And of course, when he regains control of himself and, repla- and replaces the glasses, he sees, the, he sees that the lake is churning and a large whirlpool has formed in its center. From the whirlpool emerges a blast of water and air pressure that knocks Cyclops on his back, regaining his bearings and stunned to find Jean, being played by Famke Jansen, standing alive and well in front of him. Wow. Yep. She's, she's alive. Yes, Jean Grey is alive. Jean and Cyclops reunited with each other Jean asks Cyclops to remove his glasses so she can see his eyes. Scott is reluctant to look her in the eye because, because he can't control his optic blast. And when his eyes are open, she gently removes his glass and the bright red flash from his eyes slowly fades out to reveal the natural color of his eyes. 
And of course, the two share a kiss. Unfortunately, as Jean starts kissing Cyclops more passionately, Cyclops' face begins to distort, causing him obvious pain, which cuts back to Charles Xavier feeling Cyclops' pain. Like, he feels, he feels it inside him. Like, he knows something's going on. And so did Logan and Storm. And, the, and they all went out, to, went out to the lake. The two of them arrive at the lake to find cloud cover hanging low over the surrounding hills in a thick fog, obscuring vision, to which Storm was able to clear away, and she and Wolverine find that small rocks, leaves, and even dew on the leaves. Levitating in the air, Storm and Wolverine split up, split up to look around, and Wolverine turns to see one of the objects floating in the air in front of him, which is Cyclops' glasses. Storm yells out to him suddenly, and he finds Storm kneeling over Jean, who lies unconscious but alive. So Jean is alive, and but Scott is dead. Oh boy. Okay, yes, and this is also one of the few criticisms of this film is killing off important characters to which Cyclops was killed off within the first 20 minutes, and he barely had any screen time. One of the reasons because uh, James Marsden, the actor who plays Cyclops, was was in Superman Returns, and 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 he and Brian Singer were doing that. He and Brian Singer were doing that movie. So, and so with James Marsden, he only had very limited screen time in X Men Three because of his involvement with Superman Returns. Until he returned in X Men: Days of Future Past for a cameo. That's true. Yeah. Now Jean is brought back to Xavier's labs. In the academy where an MRI is run on her brain, Xavier's only theory as to how she survived the incident at the lake that should have killed her was that her powers wrapped her in a cocoon of telekinetic energy. Jean is the only mutant Xavier has ever met whose power is ranked at class 5, meaning there are no, there are no known limits to her powers, making her even that much more dangerous is that her mutation is contained in the unconscious part of her mind, which even then is enhanced. Mutants have very limited control over. So basically, this leads up to the nickname Phoenix, the entity herself, because Jean developed a disassociative personality dis disorder causing her subconscious to manifest, to manifest herself, which is basically given the nickname Phoenix. Although the entity itself is basically called Phoenix. So there's how Jean Grey got her name, Phoenix. Now, now the Phoenix was pure instinct and emotion, the, ens the essence of every feeling Jean experienced, including desire, joy, and rage. That's how Jean got her name, Phoenix. That's right. Now Xavier tells Wolverine that he's unsure whether the gene that whether the gene that lay before them is truly the gene they know or the Phoenix struggling furiously to break free and take full control and that Xavier is trying to restore the psychic barriers and cage the beast again and cage the beast again. Wolverine Wolverine rebels and warning Xavier that a caged beast often becomes angry at its often becomes angry. And of course this leads Wolverine protesting to Xavier that that protesting that Xavier is forcing 
his will on another mutant, which is supposed to stand against everything the X-Men believe in and have been taught by Xavier himself. Xavier de becomes defensive, telling Wolverine he doesn't need to explain his actions to anyone, least of all, him. When he means by him, he is talking about Wolverine. At the headquarters of Worthington Labs, a news report is covering the mutant cure starting to become available publicly. The reporter notes that the mutant community has been split heavily over the cure's development. Some mutants are desperate to be cured, believing it's the only way that can fit in among human society, while others are offended at the cure's mere existence. Huh. Was that the reason the early 2020s were like this? Probably. But anyway, the first patient to undergo the procedure is Worthington's son, Warren III, now who's being played by Ben Foster. Grown, who's a who's a young man, grown into a young man, and he is basically there to witness it. Just as Dr. Rawl prepares to administer the injection, Warren III rebels, breaking free from the medical assistance, trying to hold him steady. Now, was this is actually a pretty cool scene. Now, this is one of the few. Now, this is one of the few scenes that is pretty cool, where Warren, Warren III. Is about to get is about to get the cure, but unfortunately, his wings come out. Like he feels his wings. Like he ben, like like Ben like like Warren's just like no no I can't I can't do this I can't do this. But his father's like trust me it's gonna be okay. We just we talked about this. But Warren's like no I can't do this. Like he breaks like no I can't do this. He breaks free with his wings coming coming out of his back. Like it's a triumphant moment. Like let's be honest. It's a, it's a it's a it's a let's be honest it's an epic moment seeing Angel's wings coming out of his back in full full in full form. Those are huge wings. They are huge. Those are huge wings. Let's be honest. Now, now of course, now the camera pans slightly away from him as he breaks free, showing him spreading a pair of fully developed, beautiful white feathered wings from his back. Of course. Warren the Third tell, told his, tells his father that the cure, and especially curing Warren himself, was only what his father himself wanted. And and Warren the Third smashes through the window and uses his wings to take flight as as Angel. Hey, an angel get his wings. That's right. The mutant, which is basically the mutant name he's given himself, as he soars away from Worthington Tower, Leech watches in awe from his room on Alcatraz Island. Now back on the road. Now back on the road. There's gonna be another mutant coming, meaning more mutants, right? Yes, including this one mutant to, to which we're gonna get to that. Now Mystique speeds down the road to find Magne find Magneto, waiting for them before any of the escort vehicles can react. Magneto effortlessly crushes all the view all the vehicles like like tin can like tin can and sends them all flying in various directions with a few waves on his hands. Then detaches the cab, detaches the cab of the semi from the trailer, sending the cab flying as well, and the trailer skidding to a halt. The guard who Mystique had threatened is sent flying to slump against the bars, confining her, and Mystique immediately thrusts her legs through the bars, grabs the guard, and snaps his neck. Now showing remarkable agility with just her left leg and foot, she grabs the guard's keys with her foot and unlocks her heavy shackles. 
And of course, Magneto, along with uh, Pyro and, and a few other mutants as well, and a few other mutants that he recruited as well, they were they were reading off they were reading off the guest list. Let's read off the guest list, shall we? They re- recruit two more dangerous mutants, James Madrox, aka Multiple Man, being played by Eric Dr- Eric Dane, who could produce unlimited duplicate copies of, of himself. And then, and then, of course, Mystique mentions he robbed seven different banks simultaneously. And then, of course, the other mutant <laughs> is... Drum. Can I do the drum roll, please? Can we, yeah, do the drum roll. Do the drum roll. <laughs> Kane Marco. Otherwise known as... The Juggernaut. <laughs> Juggernaut. Being played by Vinnie Jones, who is a huge, hulking, powerful man who once... Who, once he takes off running and builds momentum, cannot be halted by anything. And even the juggernaut name drops it. And he's like, like Magneto opens the, opens the door and he's like, Who do they call you? Juggernaut. Will you let me out now? I need to pee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the design of Juggernaut was quite different compared to other Juggernaut in Deadpool 2. Yeah, it was a bit different, but obviously enough, this... This jerk, the Juggernaut and X-Man stand was enough to create multiple memes and jokes and punchlines. Was enough to create and, multiple uh, memes and jokes and punchlines out of it. And of course, uh, for, for Vinny Jones, he's definitely wearing a muscular bodysuit. Yeah, I can definitely tell. And I can imagine the Vinny Jones Juggernaut versus Brian Reynolds as Juggernaut. Uh, to quote Deadpool, one big CGI fight coming up. <laughs> yep. So then, second guard who not who's who was knocked out cold when the trailer was detached when the cab starts to come, he reaches for a special gun, loads with a magazine of darts, and lasers up Magneto from behind him. And at last second, Mystique spots the ambush and steps in front of Magneto. And what was in those bullets? There were actually needles. That was, that was that was with the cure. Yes. So that, that was... means Mystique transforms back into her, into her human form. Yeah. And it's quite sad too that she is no longer part of the t- part of the mutant team. She's cured now. Mystique transforms back into Raven Darkholm. That's her real name. And of course, Magneto acknowledges that Mystique saved him. And of course, he tells Raven rather coldly that she's no longer one of them. Wolverine actually said that to Magneto as well. Oh, that's true, yeah. To which, uh, we're also gonna get to that later on. Turning his back to her, leaving her lying naked and powerless, Magneto ushers his fellow mutants out of the trailer, abandoning Raven. Now, of course, news spread, news of the convoy spread, and it reaches the president. With Beast hearing the whole cure thing as being weaponized in this in this manner, he resigns from the presidential cabinet in protest. But he shares the president's deep concern that the cure's continued existence is only going to further aggravate relations between mutants and humans in the general populace. Beast says this is another reason why he needs to be where he belongs, with Charles Xavier and the Academy. Now. We go back to Wolverine and Jean, and of course, Jean wakes up. She sees Wolverine, and of course, Jean notices, saying that she didn't need psychic powers to read Wolverine. And of course, slowly, sensually, Jean sits up on the, on the, on the gurney and starts 
kissing Wolverine. Hey, look, check it out. The Phoenix and the Wolverine. Mm -hmm. Locking lips. That's right. Of course, uh, but, what's, but what starts as a simple kiss that quickly escalates as Jean starts to become aggressively passionate in making out with Wolverine. Of course, Wolverine's like, whoa, whoa, hey, take it easy, take it easy, hey, whoa, 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 take it easy, take it easy. This becomes more clear and obvious when she bluntly tells him that Xavier has gotten into Wolverine's head as, as, as being tamed. And Jean's like, he has tamed you. Uh, uh, Looks like Xavier has tamed the animal, not Gene, Wolverine himself. That's oh boy. He, Xavier tamed the beast. Wolverine asks Gene where Cyclops is. Hearing the name Scott, she quickly snaps and the real and the snaps the real Gene to the surface as she looks around in confusion at her surroundings. Wolverine shows Cyclops partially broken glasses to Jean, asking her where Cyclops is. Remembering what happened, Jean's grief and sorrow quickly manifested and telekinetically wrecking the room, wrecking the lab room. All hell breaks loose as she knocks Wolverine. She knocks Wolverine out, and she leaves the. She leaves not only the lab but also the the academy as well. Back home, back to her home, which was introduced. In the beginning of the movie. And of course, Jean begs Wolverine to kill her. Like, what? Like, really? But Wolverine doesn't want to do that. Which, of course, which results into Jean being, being controlled by the Phoenix. Now, knocking Wolverine out. Meanwhile, Magneto is conferring with Pyro, Juggernaut, and Multiple Man. And of course, they, they hold the gun. They hold, And he, Magneto holds the gun that, that was used to cure Mystique. And this is all the proof that Magneto needs that the mutancy cure will be forced on mutant kind. He intends to use it as a lightning rod to incite more mutants to his cause and to literally subjugate humanity before humanity can wipe them out. So of course, Callisto tells Magneto that she sensed a massive electromagnetic, electromagnetic force coming from a mutant, so powerful that the mutant has to be class 5. More powerful than anything Callisto's, Callisto's ever sensed before, which results in Jean being back at her home. So Xavier, Storm, and Wolverine go to the house. Although Wolverine had, although Wolverine was unconscious, but of course he regained his conscious back. So so they so the three found out that Jean is back at her back at her home at her home. So, which was Jean's old house. So. Magneto and the other mutants are there, including Xavier, Wolverine, and Storm, where, where, where they're where they going to go inside to talk with Jean. Now, obviously referring back to the beginning of the movie, so both Magneto and, and Xavier try to talk with, um, try to talk with Jean, but unfortunately, but unfortunately, Jean, Jean is stressed out. Like, she's literally stressed out. Like, Xavier is trying to push, well, technically it was more on Xavier thing. But unfortunately, Magneto accuses Xavier of keeping Jean on on a leash, much in the same way that Wolverine accused Xavier of the same thing. So he's not wrong. Magneto accusing accusing Xavier of keeping Jean on a leash, much like how how Xavier kept Wolverine on a leash, right? Right. So then Xavier reminds Jean that she killed Scott, that she killed Scott or Cyclops in a fit of emotion. She lashes out at the at the at the two of them 
creating a telekinetic shockwave that hurls Magneto back out into the kitchen and shoves Xavier's wheelchair back several feet. And Magneto's basically out of the fight for now because we get we get a, because we get a huge fight between Wolverine, the Juggernaut, and Storm and Callisto. And Wolverine gets his ass whooped by the Juggernaut. Like Juggernaut tosses Wolverine like a rag doll. Much like how Superman tossed Batman like a rag doll in Justice League. Oh yeah, something's definitely bleeding. Unfortunately, Wolverine doesn't doesn't bleed after fighting the Juggernaut. No. Well, there was also a delete, an extended uh, fight with with the other mutants. It was basically on uh, YouTube. Oh yeah, that's right. Because there is an extended fight between Wolverine and the Juggernaut, where Wolverine, where Wolverine stabbed Juggernaut's uh, arm. Unfortunately. Juggernaut just punches him out, and then there was another moment where uh, Wolverine stabs the Juggernaut in the back, and then he, he calls out Storm to electrocute him, and knocks him out. Just like that. Uh, unfortunately for Storm, Storm gets gets her ass whooped by Callisto. Because Callisto's got supersonic speed, giving giving the fla- giving the Flash and, and Quicksilver a run, of their, a, run for their mo- a run for their money. What about Sonic? That's true. This will also give Sonic the Hedgehog a run for his money. Or rings, I should say. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. So, Callisto is being, being the crap out of Storm while Juggernaut is throwing Wolverine around around like a ragdoll and crushing through walls. Xavier tries to withstand the psychic force of Jean's anger and grief, desperately trying to force a telepathic link to her to reach her. While Magneto remains pinned and helpless against the kitchen counter. Oh. No, Jane! Jane! Oh boy! And yep. The yep. music of John Powell picks up. Mm-hmm. It literally picks up. It picks. It picks up to the point where Jean levitate, literally levitates Charles Xavier as she's about to to put in the final blow. That final blow. For, for Charles Xavier was disintegration. Whoa. And his last words, where were his last words? Yes. Don't let it control you. Unfortunately, unfortunately that were, those were his last words. And Wolverine, who struggles to open the door, sees, the, sees it all. And he looks at, and Xavier turns his head towards Wolverine and smiles at him. Wolverine, Wolverine screams, and Magneto screams out, Charles! And boom, disintegrated. Charles Xavier disintegrates. And the house crashes down on top of them. Along with the other mutants. Exactly. And this is the second character that was killed off. The second major character that was killed off in this movie. So Charles Xavier is dead in, in this movie. And Magneto takes Jean Grey to the Brotherhood of Mutants. Storm and Wolverine make their way to the living room and they find Charles Xavier gone. And his wheelchair is unattended. And both both Wolverine and Storm weep bitterly over over the loss of their mentor. The next scene is basically the next scene is a funeral is a is a funeral for Charles Xavier back at the back at the academy. Storm gives a moving eulogy at a memorial service 
where a headstone has been placed in the back gardens, and it's basically the headstone of, Ch of Professor Charles Xavier. All, all the students at the academy attend, as does Dr. Mo Mora, Mora McTaggart. And of course, sometime later, Iceman goes to see Kitty Pride or Shadowcat at her room to cheer her up, and he gets her to sneak to sneak the two of them out of the mansion proper by going through the wall. And, and, of course, takes her to a large fountain in the back gardens where Iceman freezes the water and basically turns into an ice rink. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, Rogue looks out the window, sees the two of them having fun, and she's not, she's not all pleased. Oh, boy. What, so, what does she do? Either A, go outside to stop, all the, all the, to stop this business, B, leave the mansion, or C, none of the above. Well, I would go for B. Actually, you're right because Rogue packed her bags and and leaves the mansion until Wolverine sneaks up from behind and says, "Need a lift, kid?" But but um, but to her surprise, he's not ordering. He's not Wolverine's not ordering Rogue back upstairs. Like all, basically, he's um, basically they both get this. Both Rogue and Wolverine have a nice moment where it, we all know we all know Rogue doesn't want to live in the state of her being a mutant she wants to be human again you know being a regular human being without all the mutant powers you know a handshake a hug a kiss and then this moment does come from wolverine saying well i hope you're not doing i hope you're not doing this just for some boy look if you want to go then go just i i hope this just know if this is what you want fine then fine and then he and then he says this last quote: "I'm your friend, not your father." Let's be honest; it's a very hard, it's a very heartwarming moment between the two between the two of them. Like, like we first met them, we first met them both in the first X Men movie, leading up to the third X Men movie, where now it's just like now Rogue is leaving, but but Logan's realizes that Rogue might be going for the cure, but he 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 gave her a choice. He well, he told her, "Look, if this is one you want, fine." Just, just, I just hope this is what, if this is what you want, that's fine. So, but, but he does urge Rogue to think very carefully about, about her decision and, and be completely certain that, that Rogue is doing the right thing. And Rogue does take a few seconds to think about it, but, and she does until she leaves. And that's basically it. Like, this is the, I mean, this is the last scene we see Rogue in. Until the until the end of the movie, but this is the last time we see Rogue in this scene for now. Not to not to mention Rogue came back in the in X Men Days of Future Past. Well, only in a, as a brief cameo appearance in the theatrical cut version, but until the director's cut came along for X Men Days of Future Past, to which we to which there was more scenes of her. Right, but. In X Men Last Stand, there is one. We do see another. There is another scene with Rogue, at the end of the movie. So basically, Rogue leaves, and then Iceman tries to look for tries to look for Rogue. But Colossus told Iceman, "Oh, she left." And Iceman's like, "What?" But anyway, in the for in the forest, um, Magneto's Brotherhood army has grown into a sizable. Uh, Magneto's Magneto's Brotherhood army has grown into a huge size. Which they built a small camp in the, to which they built, which it was big enough to build a small camp in the woods, and both Magneto and Jean 
have a conversation. And Magneto talks about how he saw the next stage in evolution when when first met Jean and wonders why Xavier wanted to hold her back when her power was virtually unlimited. Now, Magneto holds up the, the weaponized cure gun and lets it float in the air as he speaks about, about it. Unfortunately, Jean stares at the gun and it comes apart, with the cartridge breaking apart until the needles float in the air and begin to turn toward Magneto. I don't know about you, but that this is a nice little hint of foreshadowing of what we're gonna what we're gonna get at the end of the movie for Magneto, if you know what I'm saying. That, that's totally right. You see how the needles, the cure needles, are are pointing straight at Adam. Yeah, it's like it's like like you know it, it's gonna it's gonna bite him in the it's gonna bite him in the ass although let's be fair it, it did let's be honest I, it kind of did there was a little bit of a hint at the in, in in one other scene where mystique sacrificed herself to save magneto from behind because magneto was like this guy the guy who had the the, the mutant cure was gonna shoot magneto from behind but mystique stepped in and sacrificed herself. Yes. So technically, it was hinted before. So this is another scene. So this is probably this is another scene in the forest between between the uh, between Mystique sacrificing herself and 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 Jean and Magneto talking to each other while discussing discussing the cure the cure gun with the needles pointing towards Magneto. It is uh, basically hinted of what's gonna happen of what's gonna happen later on, with, especially with Magneto. But that being said, even but even even Jean is not that all impressed with Magneto. He she scares Mag she scared Magneto with the gun. Let's be honest. Well, not just the gun, but I'm talking about with the needles. Like Magneto is afraid. You can definitely see the fear in his eyes. Yeah, definitely tell. Oh boy. But but after that whole ordeal, Magneto tells her that he wants to let her grow into whatever it is she's destined to grow into, but they must fight for their freedom first, as the weaponized cure, as Magneto believes, is meant for all of them, basically for all the mutants. Now the other mutants from the Brotherhood of from the Brotherhood of Mutants, Callisto tells tells Magneto that she's worried about Jean's presence. Plus, she could tell that Jean's power is completely unstable. Pyro, on the other hand, believes that Jean is still one of the X-Men at heart. Of course, Pyro himself used to be one, but has been loyal to Magneto since he first began his own crusade. But unfortunately for Pyro, he goes too far when he says he, he, he'd have killed, he had killed Xavier if Magneto let him. Magneto quickly reigns Pyro in, with a stern reminder that although he and Xavier were completely opposed in their dealings with humanity, both shared the same vision of a mutant kind free from fear and prejudice. And Magneto is deeply saddened that Xavier had to die for the, for the Brotherhood's dream to live. So anyway, back at the mansion, all the other mutants back in the mansion were basically discussing, discussing, the, fu discussing the future of the Academy. But Beast believes that it might be best that the Academy ended and the students sent back home. What is this, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? There's no, there's no chamber, there's no chamber of secrets, and all we got in in the X Men Academy is Cerebro. But anyway, but anyway, uh, Angel steps in. Wow, he was absent from the movie. Yeah, 
and tells Beast, and of course, and of course, Angel wants, you know, Angel heard that the school was a safe haven for mutants, looking, looking intent, and of course, and of course, Storm, like, Angel, Angel wants to uh, hang out at the mansion, you know, because obviously he knows that, that this mansion is a safe haven for mutants, so, that's nice. But unfortunately, but thankfully, Beast was able to spread the word that the academy will still open. You mean it will stay open? It will stay open. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Wolverine pays his respects at, at Xavier's headstone or grave when suddenly he's assaulted by psychic bombard bombardment, which is Jean's subconscious voice calling out to him. Feeling drawn to it, Wolverine hurried. Her, Wolverine hurried packs some of his belongings to head out in search of her. Storm tries to talk him out of it, but cannot. Now, this is also connecting to a to to the to the other scene with Wolverine and Cyclops. Tell, like Wolverine want Wolverine wants Cyclops to like you know let it go, okay? But unfortunately for Wolverine, Wolverine could not let it go. Well, actually, both of them couldn't let it go. They both searched for for Jean Grey, knowing the fact that Cyclops met his demise. And now, and what about Wolverine? Well. Wolverine decides to go after decides to go after her, find her, rescue her, which leads up into a forest fight where where uh, Wolverine's in the forest. He gets into a he, he gets into a fight with multiple mutants, including this one this one guy. His name is Spike, played by Lance Gibson, a mutant who battles Wolverine in the forest by extruding bony spikes from his flesh. The character was added because the editing team felt that the original cut of the scene portrayed Logan as cold-blooded killer. Now, the fight between Spike and Wolverine is pretty is while short was well, a short fight, but it's a pretty cool fight. Knowing the fact that Wolverine was able to like <laughs> was able to was able to stab Spike with his own bony spikes. <laughs> well, <laughs> right in the right in the leg. Right, right in the leg, and then Wolverine faces off against all the other other mutants in the forest. Until uh, Spike stands back, stands tall again, stands tall again, and he keeps shooting out spikes towards Wolverine until they both charge at each other, scream and screaming at each other, until they both stabbed each other. Mm -hmm. We all know who came out on top. Yeah, yeah, that that would be Logan. Logan, he came out on top, although he was stabbed in the stomach with both the spikes, but he was able to heal. Yes, and then this leads up to a speech by Magneto, who is delivering a speech to all the brotherhood members of the Brotherhood about about this about this cure, and he and knowing that and knowing that if any if any mutant if any if any outside mutants uh, try to stop them tries to stop them they'll use this what they'll use the cure against them. They wish to cure us. But I say to you, we are the cure. And he even warns all of humanity. This was made. This was put into live broadcast airing. Like he asked all, like, like he asked all mutants to join his. He asked mutants to. He he tells all the mutants who are not joining Magneto's Magneto's Brotherhood is to stay out of the way, as he's strongly opposed to seeing any more mutant casualties. Even the president himself. Including Secretary Secretary Trask, who are watching the broadcast in the Oval Office. So that means the President and Trask are doing a plan of attack. So this brings in Arlie Army, who has an un 
who makes an uncredited cameo voice appearance in this film. The sergeant directing defense's preparations before the Brotherhood assaults Alcatraz Island is played by Arlie Ermey, which is a voiceover performance, and he tells every he tells the he tells the he tells the army to Hey, put down your grenades, put down your machine guns, put down those bullets, pick up your plastic guns with the cure with 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 mute with the mutant cure inside. Come on, come on, move your asses. What's this metal gun? A full metal jacket? I need a full plastic jacket with these mutant cures. Yeah, let's go. Move, 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 move. You will not laugh. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. Now let's go to hunt down some bro, some uh, whatever, some brotherhood, some brotherhood mutants. Sir, yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> but later on, Iceman, Iceman looks for Rogue at that uh, at a pro what looks to be a protest going on at a. Uh, at a at a facility at a facility where uh, mutants who just wanted to go for the cure refused re refused. In the next scene, we see Iceman at a protest where they're protesting the, the mutants who are going for the cure at this facility. At this facility, and Pyro shows up and he's like, "Come on, buddy, what are you gonna do? You looking for your girlfriend? Come on, come on, let's throw fists. Let's go." Iceman refuses. He's like, "Same old Iceman, huh?" So Pyro starts an attack at the facility, but unfortunately, we, we another shot comes in, and but another but there was another scene that came in where Rogue walks off the bus and goes in for the cure. Looks like she's been cured. Well, it seems as though as she's going in for it, yeah. Well, of course, later on, going back to the for, going back to the forest after the speech, Wolverine was able to track was able to track Jean by her scent, and. And and of course, like she, he finds her. He finds her until Magneto senses Wolverine. Because let's not forget, Wolverine, adamantium, Magneto. What do you get? I know the smell of your adamantium. That's right. Wolverine was like, I'm, I'm not here to fight you. Magneto says, smart boy. Well, that's, well, at the very least, smart of Wolverine. But like Wolverine's trying to tell Magneto. I, I, I'm trying to bring Jean home. She is home. She's home with me. She's here because she wants to be. Of course, he, he even brought up Charles Xavier. And you stood there as Charles d died. You can definitely see the, the look of regret in, uh, Magneto's, fa in Magneto's face, if you, if you see that. I'm not, I'm not leaving without her. Yes, you are. Like, Magneto... Hurls, hurls him half, hurls Wolverine halfway through the woods to a painful crash landing. Don't worry, he survives. And now the army are preparing to converge on Magneto's base of operations. So they, so basically, so basically they, they, they went. Into, so basically that night they, they went into the forest to hunt down the mutants, only to real, only to find out that multiple man is the only mutant standing. I guess he multiplied into different mutants. And multiple man's like, okay. I give up. I think he got cured. I think that's what happened, yeah. So then um, Wolverine recruits all the other X-Men mem all the other X-Men members. And and they were gonna go they were gonna fly to Alcatraz Island. There's six of them. Yep, there's six of them. They're ready to take the stand. The la the last stand. 
Mm-hmm. And then, and then later on, we we cut to what is arguably, in my opinion, the best scene in this movie, where uh, Magneto and the Brotherhood of Mutants all walk on the Golden Gate Bridge, and Magneto lifts the entire Golden Gate Bridge with his own feet of strength to create a bridge of his own to Alcatraz Island. The John Powell's musical score builds up the attention. It sure does. And when you really think about it, Magneto lifting a bridge that is literally a million times his size to, to the point where he lifts it up to create a bridge of his own only for it to tur- for that bridge to turn to make a bridge to Alcatraz Island. Like, literally, the best scene in that movie, literally, the best scene in that movie. Sure, Magneto has lifted up heavy objects before. He lifted up that huge baseball stadium. He lifted he lift the baseball stadium with, in X-Men Days of Future Past. Which was young Magneto. Which was young Man- Magneto. Well, Michael, he even Fass- li- Michael Fassbender. Right. He even lifted up a submarine. He lifted up an entire submarine. Include and don't forget, lift up almost all the metal parts in X Men Apocalypse, but an entire Golden Gate Bridge in his prime time as an old man. He still it, it literally shows you that he still got it. Yes. And the quote from that and to quote from Magneto, Charles always wanted to build bridges. So basically, there is a bridge from there is a bridge to Alcatraz Island, and of course, um. And of course, all the bro- all the members of the brother all the me- all the brotherhood of evil all the brotherhood members all come all come together at night to attack Alcatraz Island. They were able to charge at the Alcatraz soldiers, but unfortunately, but what Magneto doesn't know is that all all the guards, including the Alcatraz guards, have the cure cure guns, but they're made out of plastic. And and even Magneto is impressed. It's like plastic. The humans have learned. Like it's like Magneto's impressed, mm-hmm. but unfortunately he has a trick up his sleeve. He has a trick up his sleeve. He has a, he has a trick up his sleeve because uh, he, one of the mute one of the mute one of the mute, because uh, we got a couple of mutants where they, that were able to wipe out all the other all, all, wipe out the cures. He he even wipe out the wipe out the cures just so the just so just 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 so just so the mutants can attack. But thankfully, Wolverine and his mutants came to join the fight. Yes. And basically, they all join the fight. They all fight each other. They all fight each other. And also, to quote Wolverine, You man, cover the doors! Everyone get together! And hold this line! Basically, they were holding the line. Only They were holding the line for, for a while. They were holding the line for a while until, um, until, the, jugger- until the juggernaut decides to charge right in. Whoa, technically... Magneto says, FINISH THEM! And the Mutant Brotherhood continue on. Yeah, fight. they fight. Even Beast and Wolverine got a good fight. I mean, well, Beast, Beast attacks like a... His attack, his fighting move, his fighting... His fight, he's basically an animal at this point. So is Wolverine. Beast is basically fighting like an animal. Yes, he was able to let the Beast out. Yep, yep, he let the Beast out. Beast let the beast out. And Colossus uh, still got the fighting techniques. Yep. Because he changed to metal. Well, he turned into metal. Well, turn, he turned into metal. Yep. 
And then, of course, and then, of course, Magneto sends the Juggernaut and says, go inside, find the child, and kill him. With pleasure. Because he knows the child is basically the kid who has the, the cure powers. Yes. Power. And the, guard, the guards were trying to stop them. They were like, hold on! And Juggernaut plows them through. <laughs> and then uh, Beast notices that uh, Juggernaut is going for uh, going for, for the boy, for the kid. But thankfully, Kitty Pryde is like, Kitty is gonna go. Kitty Pryde was gonna go. At, is gonna go after the Juggernaut. But Wolverine tries to stop her. But unfortunately, he gets stopped by this by this mutant who grows his limbs. Who who grows his limbs after getting cut after getting cut off by Wolverine's claws. Oh yeah, the mutant's like, come on! And then Wolverine. What Wolverine does next? He kicks him in the balls. <laughs> I like this next quote that Wolverine says to to this mutant. Grow those back. <laughs> Grow those back. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so he can only grow his limbs back, but not his balls. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So then Juggernaut, Juggernaut is inside the lab. And, and, and then Kitty Pride comes from behind and literally takes him down only to get stuck into the floor. While Kitty rises from the floor in, in excitement, knowing the fact that, huh, I just, I just shrunk the juggernaut. But, of course, we get to this. Probably the funniest line from this movie that is basically, that is basically so horrible it became a meme. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? I'm the juggernaut, bitch! <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like he like the juggernaut so surprised knowing the fact that there was a mutant who was able to take him down. I was like, Don't you know who I am? I'm the juggernaut bitch <laughs> And he's he's so he's so pissed he he breaks the floor and starts going. He goes after Kitty Pride and bangs and literally bangs his head on the through different walls. Goes through different walls like Kitty Pride, but he just breaks them. But thankfully Kitty Pride was able to catch up to the kid. But she can't escape the, with the kid because the, knowing the kid, the kid's got got cured. He's got cure-like powers. He's got powers of to, to, for the cure. Mm -hmm. But but when the juggernaut smashes through the wall like the Hulk, he's like, "I'm the wall guy to play hide and seek with." Kitty was like, "Who's hiding, dickhead?" Juggernaut's so mad he tries to charge at them, but no, he knocks himself out hard with, with his head, hard-headed. And I'm pretty sure that could be a sign that he's dead in this movie. Probably. But until Deadpool 2 came along where we got a, a, a great update of the Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the other two mutants, Arclight and Kid Omega, and Kid Omega were able to locate Worthington and, of course, Dr. Rowe. Like, the two were going to take... We're going to kill Ro Worthington... While Kid Omega kills the doctor with with his quills. Kid Ooh. Omega Kid Omega kills the doctor with his quills. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. So then um Arclyde Arclyde was going to Arclyde, Psylocke, and well yeah, Psylocke shows up. And then um Spike, we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna drop Worthington through the roof as punishment for his inventing for his invention for inventing the cure. But but unfortunately his son, Angel, swoops in using his wings and power of flight to save him. Now, outside the fight, uh, Storm and Callisto fight, fight each other, but 
But unfortunately, Callisto is defeated by Storm by 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 elect by being electrocuted. Storm electrocuted Callisto through a barbed wire fence, and and shocks her and shocks her with lightning. Now, of course, Magneto gestures for Pyro to help him. The second Rook and the King on the on the chessboard are marching into battle. It's like a game of chess. Game of chess, because remember, like remember the other the mutants that came out first. From Magneto's brother, from Magneto's brotherhood, it's like a game of chess. That's why the pawns go first. And now Magneto is the king, while Pyro is the rook, the second rook. So Magneto begins hurling all the abandoned vehicles still on the bridge, like missiles, which Pyro sets ablaze. The explosive flame missiles rain down on the island, forcing all the soldiers and and the X Men as well to take cover, as as they hunker down behind whatever cover they can find, and the X-Men desperately look for a way to strike back. This gives Wolverine an, I- an idea for a counterattack. This is basically back in the back in back in the back at the academy, you know, during the lesson that they had about teamwork. So they decided to team up. So they decided to team up. So they decided so basically Wolverine, Storm, and Colossus were able to team up were able to team up. And of course, Iceman fights Pyro in a Mortal Kombat like style in a Mortal Kombat like style although in a Harry Potter fa- in a Harry Potter and Voldemort like fashion you know like you know like with the wands they're trying to have two different spells you got the spells blocking each other well this time Pyro and Iceman using their powers as their as their beams their as their powers are beaming each other mm-hmm. Pyro gets the <clears throat> cold shoulder as Iceman reveals his full potential as the Iceman that he hid, uh, that he is, and cools off Pyro's hands, and and headbutts him. So Iceman defeats Pyro. Plus, I like like this nice. I like this. I like this quip that Pyro gives to Iceman. You should have stayed in school. And then Iceman says, "You never should have left." So then Wolverine. So then Wolverine and Magneto. Colossus. Colossus throws. Throw, Colossus throws Wolverine towards Magneto. It's and about, then, it's about to be that time. It's about to be that time. Yeah. And and of course, uh, Magneto stop. Magneto stops Wolverine from being attacked. And Magneto Magneto says, "You never learn." And then Wolverine was like, "Actually, I do." And then Beast comes from behind and stabs Magneto with the cure. Whoa! Oh, oh. oh. He gotcha! Gotcha! <laughs> Magneto is surprised, scared. And defeated. He feels weak too. His powers are gone. Yes. <laughs> and and he, what Magneto says what Magneto says next. He says um And then Wolverine says one of them. Ooh. <laughs> Magneto has been cured. That's right. And if you remember during during the during if you remember that one other scene where Mag- Mystique sacrificed herself and Magneto says, "Sorry, my dear, you're not one of us anymore." That's it, it plays it it literally says something back. It plays back, but this time it's literally it's literally it's literally mentioned again, but this time it's just basically Magneto. This time it's Magneto who's saying he's saying I'm not one of them, but but it's Logan saying one of them. Oh. Yeah, he's not one of the mutants anymore. Nope. 
And then Magneto looks at Jean and he says, This is what they want for all of us. So Magneto is down. Well, he's still alive, but he's still down. But he's down. Because he, he's cured. He's just basically an old man right now. Yes. And then Wolverine looks at Jean and he says, It's over. We can stop this fight. But unfortunately, the army comes in trying to cure Jean, but, but Jean... But Gene literally disintegrates all the soldiers, including the cure, and raises hell on Alcatraz Island. And Logan also says, No! Yep. Yep, so that means, uh, so that means, uh, so, but this leads to the point where it's up to Wolverine to stop Gene. Because now, Gene is the Phoenix. Everyone and- is stu- everyone is starting to get out of there. Well, to quote from Beast, everyone get out of there! Even Magneto, even Magneto leaves, and he says this: "What have I done?" Yeah, look what have you look what you have done, Magneto. <laughs> so basically, it's Jean Grey as the Phoenix now, and yeah, yeah, it's about time. But anyway, yeah, it's about time. But anyway, um. Wolverine struggles to go face to face with with the Phoenix and she tries everything to disintegrate the flesh off of Wolverine's body and pushing his instant regener- regeneration powers to the limit. You can even see the adamantium bones. Yeah, you see the adamantium bones. Like this is PG-13? Like you look at the bones. Look look, look you see the adamantium bones. There are, there are being there, you see the animantium bones from the skin that is being peeled off. That is so brutal. That is a brutal. That is brutal. That is that is brutal. But once Wolverine gets up to the top of that top of, top of Alcatraz Island, I can't believe I'm saying this. He he is fa- he looks face he looks he looks at Jean's face, and Jean's like, "You'll die for them." And then Logan says, "No." Not for them, for you. The emotional response jars Jean's consciousness back to the surface with a gasp. Gazing deep into Wolverine's eyes, Jean begins to cry. She tearfully begs Wolverine to kill her so she could be saved from Phoenix and from herself. Wolverine hesitates, telling Jean he loves her before driving his claws through her through through her through her midsection. Instantly, his face turns grieved. But Jean smiles in silent gratitude and peacefully closes her eyes before slumping lifeless in Wolverine's arms. Oh, the third, the third character. Third major character killed off. And then Logan said this. No! It's, it's sad. Heartbreaking. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a heartbreaking moment too because Logan loves Jean. Like from throughout all three movies, like you see Wolverine and Jean literally connect with each other, connect with each other, and now we're at the moment in the third movie, she's actually dead. In this movie, in this movie, yes. Like the Phoenix took over her. But but Logan but Logan made the ultimate sacrifice. But anyway, we, anyway, let's wrap this up. Cut to the cut back to the cut to the academy. Um. There, we see the graves of Cyclops, Charles Xavier, and Jean, the grave markers bearing their full real names. The school is back in full operation with Storm running it. And of course, 
Rogue, Rogue has voluntarily undergone the cure and no longer has her powers. So that means, uh, so that mean, so that would mean Rogue undergone the the cure, no longer has her powers, which means so basically she tells Iceman, she she tells Iceman it's what she wanted, as she holds his hand for the first time. So then Leech, the uh, the kid, the mutant kid who has the the powers, the cure powers, is now also a student at the school. Wolverine is a, Wolverine is a full time teacher at the academy. Watches and watches a news bulletin where President, where the president introduces Beast as Dr. Hank McCoy, having appointed him as the new United Na- United States ambassador to the United Nations, representing mutant interests. <laughs> Way to go, furball! <laughs> and then the final scene in the last scene, we see Angel flying over the still broken Golden Gate Bridge as he continues soaring through the air. The camera pans down from him to a peaceful park where people are engaged in playing chess. And guess who's there? It's Magneto. Yeah. Or should I say Eric. Eric Lenscher. And he's playing chess all by himself. And he raises a hand toward the Black Queen and concentrates. And the chess piece only teeters very slightly. <gasps> So wait, does that mean? So that means he's, he he got it. He, he still got got his powers. He got his powers back. But that leads to a question: How did he got his powers back? I, yeah, how did he get his powers back? Like it's never explained how he got his powers back. It's never explained how he got his powers back. I mean, there's there's a bit of a plot hole right. There's that plot hole right there. How did Magneto get his powers back? Like, like how did he do it? What was what was the key? What was the, what was the key? What was the point of that? But anyway, we get a mid credits. But anyway, we get a we get an extra scene after the closing credits where Doctor Mora Mataggart is seen walking into the hospital room of the brain dead man. To her astonishment and shock, the man's face suddenly turns to her and says, "Hello, Mora," in Xavier's voice. Freeze on Moral's face as she softly whispers, Charles? And that's it. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 Okay. So so there you have it. There's our there's our take on X-Men The Last Stand. And I'll be honest with you, I say it's a solid film. It's a solid film. I mean, yes, I, I, I guess like this and well, yes. The killing off, killing off major, killing off major characters like Cyclops, Jean, and Xavier were definitely the heavy hitters and probably the main points of why this movie didn't do as well. Plus, the amount of characters in this movie, even though some of the villains like like Juggernaut, we don't we don't get to know as much. But but at the same time, it's still a fun movie. And yeah, of course, the storyline where if it's more on the on the on on the mutant cure rather than the Phoenix storyline, like. The Phoenix storyline was mostly like a secondary story rather than like the main story that was basically teased at the end of X-Men 2. So with that being said, like the movie itself mostly focuses focuses on the cure rather than, you know, just Gene just the Phoenix storyline with Gene. If anything, if there was an X-Men 4, I feel like the Phoenix storyline would have been would have would have been would have would have 
would have been okay. I totally agree. Even though, even though, yes, years later we got an X Men Dark Phoenix movie, which um, I have, we have, me and my brother have yet to see this movie, but uh, I think we'll probably come, we'll probably come to that movie soon. That's probably another film topic to talk about for that will be an episode of his own. Yeah, that will be another episode. That will be another episode for another day. But other than that, um. Uh, but other than that, I say the movie is still fine. I mean, it's watchable. It's it's just, it's a fun movie. It's got it's got fun action. I mean, the, all the casting did the casting was casting the cast members did a very good job, just for what they were given. And um, I will say this: I mean, the direction the direction itself was was a little off. I mean, I give yeah. Brett Ratner credit for this movie, but at the same time, I mean, it's not a perfect direction, but it's a but it's an okay direction. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And John Powell did a fantastic job composing an iconic score in X Men: oh, The trust, Last Stand. Trust me, yeah, I think his score. I think his score is is underrated. Is underrated. And of course, and yes, the cast did a fantastic job. Uh, but anyway, I mean, for all the movies, for the faults of this movie, had it's still still a solid movie. If anything, I mean, I understand not a whole lot of people are gonna like this movie, but but at the same time, I mean, I say enjoy. I mean. I say it's still a fun. It's still a fun movie. It's a fun, flawed movie that you can definitely watch. Yes, in a guilty pleasure fashion. Yep. And and, and well, that's a wrap. Up, and that is basically a wrap. Yes, I really, I really had a great time. I had a really good time with this film. And Mark, I I just want to say thank you for inviting me back onto your episode of Koto Cinema to talk about one of the Guilty Pleasure X-Men films, and that will be X-Men The Last Stand. Yep. I wonder, and and for Hugh Jackman, he will be reprising his role in the upcoming Deadpool 3 film. That's right, Deadpool and Wolverine. And, Mark, I, I'm i always ready for, for other films that you're going to be talking about. And I look forward to what you're going to be recording in the future. Yep. But anyway, that's a wrap on this episode. First of all, uh, first of all, before I close off the episode, what did you all think of X Men: The Last Stand? Did you like the bo- Did you like the movie? Did you not like the movie? Did you thought the movie was okay? Well, I was it a sol- Was the movie a solid finish to the X Men trilogy or not? I would like to hear your thoughts. But anyway, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you all for tuning in to Kodo Cinema. I'm your host, Mark Kodo, aka Kodo Man, and I'm Mike Kodo. Remember to watch movies and stay positive.